Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here this morning. I don't think I've been here for a while and preached, so I'm really excited about today. And we have been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been on this series for quite a, a, a long time. We've been talking about the different aspects of this super fruit. And today we'll continue to look at the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to look at gentleness. And I find it very ironic that a retired Marine is going to preach on gentleness on Father's Day. And I, as I was preparing for this, I, I thought, you know what? Pastor John is laughing right now on sabbatical. I know he did this. This is a conspiracy theory, I know. But let's face it, gentleness is something we don't often pray for. Often gentleness is associated with weakness. We, we think of this gentleness as... It's just kind of this weak kind of, of, of being and um, someone who's just very soft and, and things such as that. And so we don't often pray for it. But if we look in Scripture and we define it as Scripture defines gentleness, we see that it is born of power and it encompasses this idea of humility, not inferiority. It's this reasonableness and this considerateness. So I would submit to you that we show our strength through our gentleness. And as Christians, we are called to show a Christ-like strength through our gentleness with others. And this strength through gentleness was made abundantly clear the first time I went kayaking. A few years ago, when I was living in California, that's my new kayak, by the way. I got a kayak. But a few years ago, I'd never been kayaking. We were visiting here in California, and my father-in-law said, you know what, I'm going to take you on a kayaking trip. Great. So we went down to the Ipswich River, and we rented some kayaks, and, you know, I'm sitting there like, first, how am I going to get my body into this thing? Because it's, like, tiny. And my daughter at the time was young, and she was sitting there going, she was afraid to get in a kayak, and the instructor there was like, don't worry, you're not going to fall on these kayaks. They're almost virtually impossible to tip them over, and, of course, I get in the kayak, and as he's saying this, I'm like, yeah, and I fall right over because I was trying to muscle my way. There was no gentleness about it. And I noticed, I, I was abundantly made clear, like, listen, you can't muscle your way in a kayak. You can't just, like, throw your whole body one way. It's about gentleness. It's about a rhythm. It's about getting into it in a certain way. And just like a kayak is subject to the movement of the water, so is the human personality to the circumstances of life. And people must be handled with care. And today what I want to do is I want to look at three aspects, aspects of fruitful gentleness. Specifically, I want to explore the source of our gentleness, what gentleness looks like, and how we can apply gentleness to our everyday. Let me pray. Father, we bless you. And we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal the things that we do not know. Lord, be with us. Help us as we dig into your word to be more like our Lord Jesus. We pray these names in his holy and precious name. Amen. First, we see that fruitful gentleness is grounded in relational security. Eternal Relational security precedes fruitful gentleness. So we read 
In Matthew 12, I want to give you the context here. Jesus is in his ministry, and he just healed someone on the Sabbath. And he gets into this big debate with the Pharisees. And right before verse 15 and verse 14, after this encounter, we read, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And he knows this. He knows that they're plotting to kill him. So how does Jesus respond? Well, verse 15, it says, Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. So he responds. He doesn't respond in a way that perhaps we would respond, or even in an appropriate way, as someone, as people plotting to kill him. How does he respond? He heals people. He withdraws. He says, I don't, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to heal people. He shows this gentleness. So how was he able to respond in that way? Verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant who I have chosen, who I've selected, the one I love, the one I cherish, the one I beloved, in whom I delight, in whom I have a high degree of pleasure and satisfaction. I will put my spirit on him. How is Jesus able to respond in gentleness in this situation? It's because Jesus is 100% secure in the relationship with his eternal Father and empowered by the eternal spirits. And because of this security, he's able to proclaim justice to the nations. He's able to remain focused on the mission with this inner confidence and strength manifested in gentleness to others. We read, he will not quarrel. He won't be disruptive or angry or cry out with a loud, harsh voice. No one will hear his voice in the street. There's a connotation that he's not going to make a big public spectacle of himself using harshness. So we see in this that relational security equals gentleness. Relational insecurity manifests itself in harshness. And if we think about our own lives, isn't that true? I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Well, the question I have is how do we get grounded in this relational security like Jesus so we could have a gentle strength? Well, the first thing, it starts with stepping into the cockpit. you got to get into the kayak. When you go into a kayak, you've got to step into this, this, this kayak cockpit. You've got to enter into it. And we must enter into a relationship with the source of our gentle strength, Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship with him. And here's the thing. Jesus left the security the eternal security that he had before time began with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He left that eternal security so that he could enter into our suffering and live a perfect and righteous life. And he was nailed. He was nailed to a cross. And yes, it was the physical pain, but it was more the relational pain the emotional pain, the first time that he was feeling the weight of sin and the first time he felt the wrath of the Father for us. And he died. But three days later, he was resurrected, thus proclaiming that the Father accepted that sacrifice. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we are no longer destined for hell, but we're destined to an eternal life in Christ. And we're grafted in 
into this eternal, triune love relationship forever. That's the good news of the gospel, but we got to enter into that. That's how we enter into this eternal relational security. Now, some of us, we're in the cockpit. We are in Christ. We've been in Christ, been walking with Christ for a long time, but we're still insecure. You see, when you get in a kayak, it's very interesting. When you get into a kayak and you start to get used to the kayak, the kayak actually starts to become an extension of you. It sounds very strange, but it's almost like you start to, when, when the waves move around, I was at the Merrimack River not too long ago, and boats are going by, and you just kind of get used to it, and you kind of go with it, and because you and the kayak have been, become one. You, get in, you start getting in trouble when you try to compensate too much, and you start to paddle a little harder, you start throwing your body one way, and things get a little wonky, and it gets a little scary. And some of us, that's where we're at right now. We're in the cockpit. We've been in the cockpit for a while. But that kayak is not an extension of us. That relationship with Christ has not been fully, holistically grafted into our very being. It's there, but we don't feel it. We don't pursue it. And so we react. And we feel insecure. And I want to make this very clear. The source of our horizontal dysfunctions with people, the people in your life, lives, and that lack of gentleness is rooted in a vertical insecurity in our relationship with the triune God of the universe. They're connected. And we see this. We see this when we're insecure. We do some really weird things to each other. You know, I, I feel like someone's not listening to what I, that what I want them to do, and I'm insecure about that, and, and so I act harsh toward, towards them. I think the biggest sanctification tool and the biggest thing I see this is in marriage. Can I get an amen on that one? Yes. It's like, wow, I didn't know I was such a jerk until I got married. I didn't realize how insecure I was until I got married. And when we, everyone's laughing because it's true. <laughs> the thing is, is, but here's the thing. The systemic issue is not the insecurity in our relationship with each other. There's an issue. There's a spiritual issue. There's an insecurity with our relationship with the triune God of the universe. Today's Father's Day. And some of us have baggage. Some of us feel things on Father's Day. I've expressed this before when I've preached some of my own journeys with, with that, um, thinking about my dad and then thinking about me as a dad. Did I mess my kids up? And there might be some things where I go, I wasn't around that much. But I want to encourage you. If you put your faith in Christ, this means that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And this verse, verse 18, is for you. Hear what the Eternal Father has to say to you if you are clothed in Christ. You are my servant, my chosen, specially selected one that I dearly love and cherish. I delight in you and experience pleasure when I think of you. That's what God has to say to you if you are clothed in Christ. Because he no longer sees you, he sees his son. Do you believe that? That's the question for us. Do you believe that? Good. It's time that we start living 
in the secure reality of our eternal relationship with the triune God in Christ. So this is the source of our gentleness. This is the source of it. But what does it look like? What does gentleness look like? And that leads me to my second point. Fruitful gentleness is founded in Christ-like tenderness. My father-in-law is 70 years old. And he's been kayaking for years. And we went kayaking. Uh, after I got my new kayak, we went kayaking. And I noticed, like, I'm just muscling it. I'm going for it. I'm a slow learner. And so I'm going, and I'm seeing the 70-year-old man flying past me. And he's just like, real easy. What is going on here? He's using these gentle strokes, push-pulling, and just kind of enjoying this sense. And so I, I was looking at my father-in-law to see how can I not exert, exude so much energy and, and how can I fly through the water? And I was looking to him as that, that example. And for us, for gentleness, Jesus is the, the pinnacle of our fruitful gentleness. We need to look to Jesus. So we, ver- we see verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Jesus says, a bruised reed he will not break. Some of us are bruised reeds. Life has just got us down. There's just so many things. Some of us, it just seems like one bad thing happens after another bad thing happens after another bad thing. And this verse is telling us Jesus is tender. He's not going to break you. You know, when I go kayaking, I go through the salt marshes sometimes, and you see reeds that have been fallen over. They're the big pieces of grass that have been fallen over. Some of it's because of me, because I rolled right through it. And what we're, what we're saying here is, is Jesus is gentle. He's not going to break you. He's tender. We read that a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. Some of us are smoldering in our faith. Think of that wick in a candle. It's not, there's no flame there, but it's, it's just you barely see the ember right there. You're holding on by a thread. Your faith is that big. You come to Jesus and Jesus will fan and give you the oxygen needed so that you could be on fire for him. And so if we are broken or if we are smoldering wick, we could go to Jesus. But here's the thing. All of us encounter broken and smoldering people in our everyday. They're all around us. They might be sitting right next to you. So what does treating others in Christ-like fruitful gentleness look like? And what I want to do is I want to compare an insecure weakness that often manifests itself to a Christ-like strength and security and gentleness. So these are, these are some ways that it looks like as we compare these things. So number one, an insecure weakness is to be so strongly opinionated that people are afraid to express their opinions in your presence. You're just so strongly opinionated. People are like, I'm not going to say anything. Secure Christ-like strength and gentleness actively seeks to make others feel at ease or restful in our presence. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says, this is Jesus speaking, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do people come to you in order to have an encounter with Christ and find rest? Question we must ask ourselves. Two, an insecure weakness is 
to change someone's mind through domination, intimidation, or humiliation. Someone's wrong, and we're going to change their mind with any means possible. Yet secure Christ-like strength and gentleness restores personal dignity and respect for the other person, no matter how wrong the person is. We see in Matthew 9, 9 through 13, Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. He knows they're wrong. He knows they don't have it, have it right, but he's sitting there. He's not agreeing necessarily with their lifestyle, but he's present so he can speak truth into their life. So for us, we have to ask, do people outside the church want to spend time with us because of our Christ-like gentleness? I'm going to tell you, this is transformational, and this is true strength to be able to do that. Third, we see an insecure weakness is to be blunt, abrupt, to tell it like it is, or my favorite, with all due respect. You know when someone says, with all due respect, you're about ready to get blasted. And they don't care, regardless of how, the people, how people feel or the fallout of it. That Christ-like strength and gentleness speaks truth and love. John 4, we see Jesus goes and he visits the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she goes to get water in the midday of the, of the arid desert sun. And even to this day, that doesn't happen. She's obviously ostracized from her community because even to this day, modern day in, in those areas, the time of fellowship for women was to go in the morning and, and to gather water together. Yet she's by herself in midday. And Jesus doesn't tell it like it is to her. He's very soft with her, kind of coaxes her, brings her back to the eternal truths. For many people, we might be the only ones in their life where they have an encounter with gentleness, the gentleness of Christ. So the question is, do we give them hope of victory in their lives through Christ? Finally, we see an insecure weakness is to belittle or gossip about a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. And this one bothers me the most, church, because we know better. We know better. Secure Christ-like strength, however, in gentleness, grieves for, prays for, or prays with, and seeks reconciliation and restoration for our brother and sister who is caught up in sin. You know, when I go kayaking, sometimes I get caught up in the reeds. And my father-in-law comes alongside me. And it takes a long time sometimes, but he, we eventually come out. And for us, with our brothers and sisters in Christ that have been caught up in sin, we need to be willing to gently come alongside them on their road to resurrection. We need to be willing to prostrate ourselves before God and pray for them. Not speak behind their back. So as I was mentioning this, as I was comparing and contrasting, I have to ask you, how did you do? I got a personal confession. I need to work on this, all of this. I need to be working on gentleness. So if you could pray for me on that. I want to be gentle. I want to be more like Jesus. So we've talked about our source of gentleness. gentleness. We, we've seen what it's looked like. But the question is, is how do we apply this in our everyday how do we apply this in our everyday? That's my final point. Fruitful gentleness is unbounded servant leadership in our everyday. So if we flip to Matthew 20. So Jesus is about ready to 
go to the cross. He's about ready to enter in Jerusalem. And he's mentioned his death numerous times. And in this verse, the apostles are still thinking of, in nationalistic terms that Jesus is going to crush the Romans and set up his kingdom. And that's their hope. And so the, bro- the mother of Zebedee, James and John, the apostle John and James, they go and send their mom to go speak to Jesus. Now, I want to talk to you a little about James and John. James and John were not gentle. Actually, Jesus had a nickname for these two brothers, the Sons of Thunder, because they wanted to call down fire on people. Jade, Jesus, they're not listening? Call down fire on them. It's just obliterate them. But here, these two mama's boys send their mom, and they say, talk to Jesus for us, because we want to be on his right and his left when he establishes his kingdom. And Jesus basically tells them how they're going to die. They're going to suffer. You're going to drink the cup that I drink. But then he goes and he says to them, in verse 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to first must be your slave. Jesus is telling them, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to be gentle. And gentleness is humility. He's saying, here, I got you. I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a motivation. The mission and motivation. Mission. You're going to be a servant. Greek word, diakonos, a minister. Someone who waits and attends on the needs of others. And this doesn't mean grandiose needs. This means everyday needs. We, have everyday, we come across people with everyday needs every day. You wake up. You can start off by serving your spouse instead of being a bull in a china shop when you wake up. Maybe you're a little quieter. Maybe you make them coffee. When you go into the workplace, maybe it's just encouraging someone. You serve them in some way. But you're called to be a minister. You're called to serve. You're called to wait, attend to people in your everyday. Then he gives us the motivation. He says the fervency of our servant leadership is shown by being a slave. A doulos. Being totally sold out to it. And Here Jesus is ushering us into a way of life, a life of service. And this isn't just doing good deeds, because you can sit there and say, well, people say do good stuff all the time, Brian. What's the difference in what you're saying and what other people are saying? Because it's not about doing the good deeds, it's who we're doing the good deeds for and for what purpose. We're not doing it for our glory. We're doing it for the glory of God. We're doing it to serve Him. You see, mission exists because worship doesn't. And we worship God through our service and mission to others who usher in the kingdom of God. This is worship. This is a way of life. People will not deserve it. They won't. Let's face it. We didn't deserve it either. Verse 28, just as Son of Man did not come to be served, but serve and to give a life a ransom for many. We didn't deserve it, but he did it for the glory of his name. See, the way of Jesus is dying to yourself through the humble, gentle, unbound service to those God has put in your life. Jesus demonstrated the ultimate act of servant leadership on the cross. This shows strength and takes strength. And as we apply this to our everyday, we need to ask 
the Holy Spirit to make us aware of these everyday opportunities and empower us for these opportunities. We don't have the strength on our own. This is a work of the Spirit in us, transforms us in the process. As I kayak, and as I wanted to improve and be a little more gentle in my kayak, and I looked at my father-in-law and saw how he was doing this push-pull thing and just guiding through the water, I had to start practicing it. It wasn't just enough to look at it. I had to start doing it. And so I challenge you to commit to praying this week, just this one week, and pray to God that he would reveal these opportunities in your every day and that you would do at least one gentle act of service for the sake of others and for the glory of God in your life this week. Can you commit to that? Yes? Thank you. This is a big deal. If you need help with this, and you're like, I'm not really sure what to do. You know what? We have service opportunities here at the church. We'll find something for you to do. Just go to the service desk. But here's the thing. I promise you, if you do this, it'll be, trans- it'll be transformative to other people, but you're going to be the one who's transformed. In his book, The Loveliness of Christ, this, the, the author, Samuel Rutherford, he's an old Puritan, English Puritan uh, pastor. He wrote this little book called The Loveliness of Christ. He writes, I'm going to finish with this. Acquaint yourself with Christ's gentleness, and ye shall not miss to find new gold mines and treasures in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you and we bless you for what you've done for us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to live a life that is gentle, that is Christ-like. We pray that as we, we go and we, you present these opportunities, that we would do so with humility, knowing that you are doing a work in us and through us for the glory of your name. So we love you, Lord. Help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.